Hey, Disney fans, looking for the latest Disney news? And interviews with some of Disney's biggest stars. Well, have we got the podcast for you. Welcome to D23 Inside Disney. I'm Sherry from Oh My Disney. And I'm Jeffrey from D23, the official Disney fan club. And today we're taking you Inside Disney. Sherry! Jeffrey! Oh, always, ah. always a joy. Such a pleasure. Tell me, <sighs> what have you been up to this week? What haven't I been up to? Too true. First, I did get to see Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Woohoo! Loved it. I'm so excited. Hopefully, uh, you know, we can talk more about it soon, maybe with someone from the film. Who knows? Maybe. I say nothing. I don't know. <gasps> but we've been so busy here at Disney getting ready for Disney 100, the exhibition, the opening of the massive tentpole exhibition from the Walt Disney Archives in Philadelphia. And... We know people have had lots of questions, and so we are bringing on the guest who has all the answers, the one and only Becky Klein, coming up to talk in crazy details about super fun things. <laughs> There's a lot. So There's we go archival. Yes. Yes. And you, yes. Sherry, what's been going on with you? All I can say is I watched a film. Mm. It isn't released yet. Okay. And I loved it. Oh, Stay right. tuned. <laughs> cannot wait to hear more. I cannot wait to, to read hear. that NDA very closely. <laughs> oh, I love it. Our jobs are great, but also maddening with that Mysterious. secrecy. Uh, was the movie as good as Encanto? Oh, what a transition. I try. Here, I try. Here we are again talking about Bruno. I feel like it's been a couple of weeks since we've brought up Encanto, but we're back at it. The music of Encanto swept the three grammy awards it was up for that is best song for visual media which was we don't talk about bruno best score soundtrack and best compilation soundtrack and Kanto's sweep of those visual media categories was the first time that's happened in the 24 years since the compilation soundtrack category was added uh, back in 1999 i of course wasn't born yet i'm just kidding i was born i was born <laughs> you're a monster you're a monster um, but congrats that's to so Lin-Manuel Miranda, Jermaine Franco, the whole team. So well-deserved. Uh, agree. Agree. I know I mentioned I saw MN and the Wasp Quantumania. And featured in that film is a book, a memoir, if you will, written by Scott Lang, the character played by Paul Rudd, called Look Out for the Little Guy. He does a reading, a dramatic reading from the book. It is, of course, very funny and great and includes some of those hilarious moments that we've seen in the trailer. The actual book, you are going to be able to purchase that book and read it and read all about Scott and his adventures as an Avenger, his Avenger adventures. I like that. <laughs> so it is going to be hitting stores September 5th. I am already lining up at Barnes & Noble. Is that still a thing to do? Anyway, I'm ready. I'm here for it. <laughs> I don't know. I was born in 1999. So <laughs> just You're kidding. A <laughs> You're a all monster. right. Well, here is some news that, in the words of Crush, so totally rocks. The Epcot International Flower and Garden Festival has announced the Garden Rocks concert series lineup. This is happening at the America Gardens Theater. It's a long lineup. Here are some highlights. Smash Mouth. That's right. Blue Oyster Cult. Get your cowbells ready. The Pointer Sisters, Switchfoot, Plain White Tees, Simple Plan, and so many more amazing performers. Check out the full list on the Disney Parks blog. I am excited to see Rick Springfield on the list. I'm a big Jesse's Girl fan and just a big Rick Springfield fan. And 
could go on, but I'm not going to go on because there's great news. The Walt Disney Company just announced it's going to be continuing its relationships with children's hospitals into 2023 in fantastic ways. Now, I didn't know this, but one year since the global rollout of Disney Plus into children's hospitals, more than 430 children's hospitals in 17 countries have access to the service, which I think is so cool. And we've certainly showcased some of the very cool Starlight Hospital wear, the very fun hospital gowns with characters from Star Wars, Pixar, Disney, the Mirabelle one's adorable. And I love what they do to make the hospital stays just feel better and a little more comfortable for kids uh, and their families. It's scary going to the hospital as an adult. So I love that the company does this. You can read more about all the incredible work Disney is doing with children's hospitals at the Walt Disney Company.com. Now, switching gears again with no good transition, Sherry. Sorry. <laughs> it was just announced that Star Wars Visions will be back on Disney Plus on <laughs> May the 4th. Yes. Get your lightsabers ready for nine new shorts from countries around the globe. I really enjoyed the first season. They were so creative and different. I loved it. I loved it. You can read more about it at StarWars.com. And you know what else you can read more about at StarWars.com? The Mandalorian! Oh, yay! I'm sorry. I'm so excited for season three coming out of March, but... In case you have not caught up, in case you were for some reason waffling on a subscription to Disney Plus, I don't know why. I don't know who you are. Maybe we should have a discussion. But <laughs> on Friday, February 24th, you can see the original series premiere season one of The Mandalorian simultaneously across ABC, Freeform and FX at 8 p.m. Eastern and Pacific Sherry don't know who these people are who don't have Disney Plus. And if they if they don't, why are they <laughs> listening to our podcast? I was say, if, <laughs> if you're out there and you listen to the podcast, but you don't subscribe to Disney Plus, who are you? Find me. <laughs> well, I've got some very exciting details from our friends at the parks about Tiana's Bayou Adventure. Okay, sit back, relax, take in this story. We are going to see where Tiana's life has taken her following the success of Tiana's Palace. Within Tiana's Bayou Adventure Attraction Q, guests will discover that she continues to grow her business with Tiana's Foods and with the help of her mother Eudora, Naveen, Lewis, and fellow owners of the co-op, Tiana revived an old salt mine and the surrounding land, growing a wide array of veggies, herbs, spices for her recipes, creating all sorts of new yummy products that they are bringing to the whole world, including a line of original hot sauces, which I am dying to try. Tiana wants to throw this amazing party during Mardi Gras season to thank her family and friends. When it turns out there's been a bit of a mix-up with the party prep, she invites us to meet her at Tiana's Foods to help with the missing ingredient for the party. Dun, dun, dun. When we arrive, we may see that Tiana spruced up the company's facilities with vibrant art and from local artists. Food from the party is being prepared. Beignets are being loaded into crates and into my tummy, hopefully, for the celebration. All kinds of prep is underway for the journey into the bayou, along with Tiana and some new and familiar friends from the film. Check it out. Experience Tiana's Bayou Adventure at Walt Disney World Resort and Disneyland Resort in 2024. And in more exciting parks news, Tron Light Cycle Run. That is coming soon, and it's on the cover of the next Disney 23. 
where the writers interview the Imagineering team and hear all about how they created these action-packed races and more. And other stories in the issue will cover Disney 100, the exhibition, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, Proud Family Louder and Prouder, plus so much more. And as part of Disney's 100th anniversary, every issue shipped to members is going to include a magnet featuring Mickey Mouse, leader of the club, Milestone statue. Find out more at d23.com. And huge, huge kudos to the Disney 23 and D23 teams on putting it together. It is a stunning issue. As I think listeners of the pod know, I enjoyed Marvel Day at Sea a few weeks ago, and Disney Cruise Line just announced that both Pixar Day and Marvel Day at Sea will be back in 2024. I can't tell you enough how much fun I had on Marvel Day at Sea, all the characters I met. It was amazing. You can read more about both of those cruises at Disney Parks blog. Speaking of Marvel, but not at sea here on land, Marvel Studios' Black Panther Wakanda Forever is now the most watched Marvel film premiere on Disney Plus globally. That is right. That is a record based on hours streamed in its first five days. And the film is still playing in theaters, so people are watching it all over the place. Wow. Black Panther Wakanda Forever is nominated for five Academy Awards. Uh, Mm -hmm. Amazing. I can't wait to watch the Academy Awards, but you know what we're going to watch first. Well, it's a big day on Sunday for some people not named Jeffrey. In fact, that's right, because it's time for Five (laughs) Fantastic Things to Watch This Weekend, presented by our friends at State Farm. For complete details and listings, visit d23.com. And remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And Sherry, like you were alluding to, it's the big game on Sunday. So all five of these pieces of magical content are themed to that bowl. (laughs) Bowl sounds so foreign coming out of your mouth (laughs) when related to sports. Goofy, how to play football. Check out the animated short on Disney+. Plus. I mean, Goofy plus football, what can be better? What could be better? What could be better? We could watch Remember the Titans. Uh, Amazing. Also available on Disney+. Plus. It's that great movie about football, but that's not really about football. Love it. (laughs) And check out The Simpsons, specifically season 16, episode 8 on Disney+. Plus. Homer and Ned's Hail Mary Pass. Mm -hmm. And check out Invincible starring Mark Wahlberg. That was a movie I almost got like tricked into watching. Again, it's a movie about football that's not about football. My friends were like, oh, trust (laughs) us, you'll like it. And I loved that movie. So good. And why not round out the weekend on Sunday, February 12th at 10.30 a.m. on FX, where you can watch The Family Guy Episode 4, Season 20, Patriots Game, about what happens when quarterback Tom Brady witnesses Peter pummeling several people to get to the restroom and then recruits him to play for the New England Patriots. (laughs) Well, on to today's guest, who is a great friend of the pod and a great friend of mine. As the director of the Walt Disney Archives, she leads a team of 40 individuals dedicated to the preservation and celebration of Disney's rich legacy. And in honor of Disney's 100th anniversary, the Archives has created Disney 100 The Exhibition, a massive traveling exhibit that is sure to delight fans of all ages, opening in just a few days at the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia. You'll have to pardon our pixie dust as the team is hard at work uncreating, installing, painting, and more to make sure the exhibition is ready for fans. And here to break down all the treasures from steamboat whistles to lightsabers, please welcome to the show, Becky Klein. Woohoo! Welcome back. It's so great to see you again and chat again. 
For guests who may not have heard you speak before, let's do some quick background. I've got three questions for you, Becky. When was the archives founded? How many items do you now have? And where are they located? Wow. Okay. Um, the archives was founded <laughs> in 1970, so over 52 years ago. Pretty amazing to me because I've been there, you know, for almost the whole 33 years that I've worked with the company has been in the archives. Doesn't seem like it's been there that long, but it has. Wow. And how many items do we now have? It's so hard to say. Millions. Absolutely millions. There are millions and millions of pieces of paper in the archives, but we also have 25 million photos now. And wow. hundreds of, I would say, you know, hundreds of thousands of dimensional objects like costumes, props, ride vehicles, pieces of merchandise, pieces of art. Of the 25 Whoa. million photos, how many of them are of Sherry and I? <laughs> There's at least two. <laughs> at least two. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll go back and count and let you know. <laughs> And where they're located, they are located in multiple places. We have several warehouses. We have three offices and I think six or seven warehouse spaces where we store things. So it depends on, you know, what kind of things they are and where we keep them. So costumes are in one place and props and ride vehicles and things are in another. And, of course, documents and art are stored separately. Wow. Mm. Well, how did the idea for the exhibition come about and when did you start working on it? You know, one of the things that Disney always uses is we, we love to celebrate anniversaries of all kinds. And so we keep a list of all the anniversaries that are upcoming for the company. And so I'm always, you know, the first one to say, oh, by the way, you know, next year is this or, you know, in, in two years, we're going to be celebrating Donald Duck again. So, you know, think about that. So several years ago, probably five years ago, I was looking at the list and going, oh, we have a 100th anniversary coming up soon. We're going to have to do something big. And so I started thinking of what the archives could do to participate in this wonderful celebration. And of course, the first thing I thought of was a big exhibit. And our exhibits have been growing steadily. You know, we started with little tiny exhibits in the front cases of our offices with doing exhibits of, at the D23 Expo. We've started building them and then those were popular. So we started traveling them. And so we thought, well, we would do a great big traveling exhibition. And so we got a partner, a production partner, producer, to help us with it. And we started working really seriously on it uh, about three years ago. So mm. three to four years wow. in the making, yeah. Wow. Ah, amazing. Well, the 10 exhibit galleries, so they're broken down by theme rather <laughs> than chronologically. Can you talk about why you decided to do that? It would have been really easy to do a chronological story, but then it would be kind of like, well, we did this, Walt did this, and then he did that, and then he did that, <laughs> you know, then we did this, then we did this, and it's not real compelling. And I was afraid that, you know, our audience is made up of everybody from, you know, great-grandparents who saw Snow White in theaters in 1937-38, and little toddlers who have their first experience with Disney watching, you know, in their living room watching Disney+. Plus. So... We thought, well, we don't want the little ones to have to wait until they get to the very end of the exhibit to see their favorite things. So we thought, well, no, we don't want to do it chronologically. So that went out the window right away. And then we thought, what can we do to tell the story where it will be compelling for everyone who visits from every nationality, every global culture? You know, everyone has their own Disney experience. And we wanted to, you know, show all of that in one 15,000 square foot exhibit, which is pretty tricky. But we decided to go back to the very basics, to the roots of the company, which of course is Walt Disney. 
And we looked at Walt Disney's basic philosophies and we said, what did Walt think was important? And what did he focus on as he was creating those early productions and the classics that he did? And we realized that there's, you know, about, you know, eight or nine basic philosophies that Walt Disney had that he used when he made his productions. And we still do that today. And not only does Disney do it, but all of the newer brands that are part of Disney also do the same thing. So storytelling, which is at the heart of everything that we do, it's at the heart of Disney, but it's also at the heart of Pixar. And it's the same with Marvel. And it's the same with Lucas. And we started looking at this thinking, wow, you know, those are the things that we should be talking about. And then we can mix up all eras and all types of adventures at Disney into one room by theme. And so that's what we did as we created the galleries based, each one is based on a different theme that started with Walt and that we still do today. And I'm sure one of the themes is Jeffrey and Sherry. You don't have to tell us. It's true. <laughs> Our surprise. two pictures are in there. Absolutely. They're on the wall. <laughs> you mentioned 15,000 square feet, which it's, I think, hard for people to visualize what that might look like. Yeah. Are you able to give us a sense of that scale of that size? Yeah, it's the largest size traveling exhibition that anyone does. So when you think of an exhibition like... Um, you know, the Titanic exhibit or King Tut or some of these other really huge exhibits that you see regularly in museums and throughout the world. That's the largest size exhibit that anyone ever does is 15,000 square feet. It's a big exhibit and it's probably the biggest one. I know it's the biggest one the archives has ever done. I think it might possibly be one of the biggest ones that the company overall has ever done. Wow. I'd have to verify that, but I'm not sure, But but I think so. But it is huge. D23 Expo fans, the big exhibit that we do on the show floor every two years, that's 12,000 square feet. So this is even bigger than that. Wow. So it's going to be pretty fun. Oh, that is massive. Well, we've <laughs> spoken about some of your archive favorites before, like Mary Poppins and the Sleeping Beauty book. Those are two that are close to your heart. What are some newer acquisitions that have deep meaning for you? Oh, with the archives, gosh, we get things in all the time. And, you know, as you see a movie or you go on a new attraction at the parks, you fall in love over and over again. And one of my favorite recent films was the live-action Cinderella film. Mm, and yes! As a child, I just loved Cinderella. And having the carriage, the gold carriage from Cinderella in the archives or the beautiful dresses and the, the slipper and those kind of things, I love those. I find them utterly charming and I love to look at them. But another thing that's really fun is things that we get to work on. So, for example, when Hocus Pocus was being created, the new film, they came to us to look at what we had from the original film. And so I'm really looking forward to getting the costumes from Hocus Pocus 2 into the archives because I had a hand in helping to make those. And that always makes them very special emotionally to me. And I believe, speaking cool. of Hocus Pocus, book is also in it, in the exhibit. <laughs> Book is going with us. Yes, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Cool. Love it. Love it. Love it. <laughs> what are some of the treasures? <laughs> I like this. Becky, I mean, we already know you were a very talented archivist, now voiceover actor as well. Yes. No, that'll be another podcast. Add it to the list. Exactly. <laughs> we always say, you know, a lot of these treasures guests have seen, maybe not in this way, but they have been showcased before. What are some of the treasures that have rarely or never been exhibited before that guests will be able to see in this exhibit? There's some really fun things. There's a gallery that's just about music. It's all about the different types of music and sound. 
And I think there's some fun things in there that people have never seen before in person. There's sheet music, handwritten sheet music from some mm -hmm. of our classic Disney wow. uh, music like Yoho and uh, mm -hmm. When You Wish Upon a Star, things like that. I think people will be really excited. We've never shown those before. And then one of the things that I'm just excited about is the original sound effects equipment that the studio used to create early sound effects like the Steamboat Willie whistle mm -hmm. and the wallet that makes the squeaky shoes of the dwarfs in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. What? That's a wallet? Yeah, it's no a wallet. Idea. wallet. That's a wallet that squeaks. And then what's really cool is Tinkerbell's chimes, of course. Oh. And that to me is a real special moment because when I was a little girl, I remember going to Disneyland when I was really little and seeing Tinkerbell fly from the Matterhorn over Sleeping Beauty Castle for the first time. And back in those days, before she would fly, you would hear the chimes and you'd have oh. bubbles. They actually released bubbles into the air. And so there were chimes and bubbles. And, and I just remember standing there in a, the hub with my mom with the little twinkling white lights waiting for Tinkerbell and having the chimes. And I just, that's such a vivid memory for me. And I was very little when that happened. Oh. So wow. that's one of my favorite things that we're showing in the exhibit now. I love that, that is so cool. I'm so fascinated by Foley and sound effects. So when you said it was a wallet, I'm like, what? <laughs> that makes total sense now. I never would have thought. Yeah, we've added some projection magic to that too. So you may see Tink join the folks visiting to see the magic of those chimes. Oh, I love cool. that. Well, there are interactives in every gallery. Can you talk about some of them? Sure. There's 14 interactives, and that's a lot because there's only 10 galleries. <laughs> so there's quite a few, and some of them, they range from very simple, like there's an interactive in the personality animation gallery where little ones will enjoy this, where you see cards that have different stripes of different colors, and you have to guess what character that represents, and you flip it over, and, and you see that, you know, these are the colors that, you know, Dumbo has, or these are the colors that Esmeralda wears, something like that. That's fun. And then... They get a little more technical after that. There's some really, really great things that are deep dives, like the sources of inspiration in our storytelling gallery, where you can go in and learn all about these stories that inspired Walt and inspired the films and things that we make today. There's mm. some interactive tables where you can go and take a deep dive into your favorite characters and learn all about them. There's one that is all about our parks around the world, and so you can see all of the different parks and learn about them. So some of them are kind of educational, yeah. One of my favorites is in the Spirit of Adventure and Discovery room, and that is we're showing the Nautilus. So we have the 12-foot model, the Nautilus, on display, which mm. is in Ow. itself really great. <laughs> but right next to it, we have this really fun interactive, which I don't think anybody's ever done before. But for those of you who know the film, in the salon of the Nautilus, there's a big window that you can look out and see the underwater sequences and the seafloor. And it's very steampunk, and it's like a camera aperture. It opens and closes like a camera. So what we did is we created that, and you could pull the lever, and it will open and close. And every time it opens and closes, you see a different underwater Disney scene. So it might be from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. It could be from Finding Nemo. It might be from The Little Mermaid. could be from Splash. You know, you never know. There's some really fun things, but every time that aperture opens and closes you see a different sequence. So it's kind of fun. Wow. I cannot wait to see this in all in person. Plus this <laughs> one, because I've heard that the room dedicated to our parks has some very cool immersive moments, perhaps a kiss goodnight? Yes, absolutely. We could have done a whole 15,000 square foot exhibit just about the parks. You know, that's sure. a huge subject. 
you know, what to leave out is the hardest part of making an exhibit like this. But we wanted to dedicate at least one gallery to the parks. And so we focused on Disneyland as the one where it all started. But it tells the stories of all the parks in there. And one of the things that we came up with, which was kind of fun, is that so much of the magic at the parks happens at night. And there's such a great, you know, feeling at night. So what we are doing is that the room itself will actually change from day to night back and forth. So that's kind of fun. And the inspiration for that was one of the pieces that's going to be on exhibit is a Peter Ellenshaw painting of Disneyland, an aerial painting that he made. It was painted and then it was overpainted with glow-in-the-dark paint so that at night you could turn the lights off and at night it shows up as an evening scene. And that piece is going to do that. We have it so that it'll go back and forth between day and night. And as it changes, the music will change, the lighting will change. And then, of course, you can't have a night at one of our Disney parks without some uh, live entertainment and fireworks. And so we are having fireworks behind the castle that will be set off by Tinkerbell herself. And so we have a castle model that you'll see, and that'll be your kiss goodnight as you leave that room. We're going to say not actual fireworks inside an archives exhibit. No. (laughs) Fireworks. There we go. Magic fireworks. Magical. Magic fireworks. There we go. Well, speaking of a magical, an original score was also created for the exhibit. Why did you go that route rather than with existing tracks? You know, we first thought about, oh, let's just play some really nice classical or instrumental Disney music, which is always, you know, lovely in an exhibit. But our partners, Semmel Entertainment, one of the things is that they're very involved in the musical world. And so they suggested the idea of creating an original soundtrack for this mm-hmm. exhibition, just like you would for a film. We were very excited about that. And so they created a wonderful soundtrack. It's by a composer named Steve Mazzaro, who's done a number of Disney films and is a wonderful, wonderful composer. He created a main theme that he calls The Hero's Journey. And it, to me, it's it sounds like... It sounds like every Disney theme I've ever heard. Do you want to hear a second? Do you want to hear a little bit of it? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. That was, I got the chills. Very magical. Magical in every sense of the word. Loved it. Uh, (laughs) That'll play throughout the exhibit in various forms. And then we're also going to put in some classic Disney tunes that he has recorded to fit in with it. So it'll be really fun. Mm. So a second unit of the exhibition opens in Munich in April. How will it be similar? How will it be different? The second unit is the same design. We use the same media. Of course, there'll be translations for captioning. But we have a lot of duplicate and similar assets in it. So in some cases, there'll be very similar assets. And in other cases, there'll be absolutely duplicate ones that we have two of in our collection. So that sort of thing. Hmm. Okay. Well, speaking of two of, so I heard Mary Poppins has same but different items in each exhibit. (laughs) Two carousel horses, two snow globes. Can you talk about those a bit? Yeah. In some instances, we have, you know, two of the same thing because they sometimes make more than one when they're making a film. 
But in Mary Poppins, of course, there were four carousel horses, and we have two of them. So Mary's horse is going to be in one exhibit, and Bert's will be in the other. Hmm. And that's kind of cool because Mary's carousel horse was originally painted by Tony Walton, who was her husband and one of the art directors on the film, and it had been restored. So it's in pristine condition. It's beautiful. But the other horse we acquired just a few years ago, and it hasn't been restored, and we don't want to restore it because it was originally painted by Disney legend uh, Peter Ellenshaw, who did all the wonderful matte paintings for Mary Poppins and a number of our films. And so it shows a little more love. It's got, you know, a few rust spots and dinks and things here and there. But that also shows the process. Sometimes we restore things, but other times we leave them the way they are because we want people to see the original painting. Plus, we want them to see what it is that we do in preserving and conserving things. So uh, we're going to show both horses in their natural state. The snow gloves are going to be really fun because we're using a special effect on them. We're actually going to have birds flying in the globes because we have two. We have the one from the original 1964 film, but we also have the one from the Mary Poppins Returns film. And so one will be in one exhibit and the other, but the same effect. Hmm. Wow. I cannot wait to see this all in person. (laughs) We obviously love Disney classics, but the archives is a repository for recent creations as well. So what are some of the newer items fans will get to see in the exhibition? What I'm excited about is that the 10th gallery, the final gallery of the exhibit, is a look forward. So it's a keep looking forward moment. And before you leave, you'll get to see some coming attractions of things that are going to be in our upcoming productions and attractions. To start with, we're going to have some items from Peter Pan and Wendy, which is just finishing up production. And there'll be some pieces from The Little Mermaid, which is also the live action version. So we're going to keep refreshing that too. They'll rotate in and out as we move. This exhibit's going to be out in the world for a while. And we're going to keep refreshing it with new items as they come in. So we'll always have something that's brand new. That's so cool. That is so cool. Well, obviously, the safest way to preserve an object is to lock it away in a safe place, never take it out. (laughs) How do you balance the need to preserve with the importance of bringing these artifacts out to be enjoyed? Yeah, Well, you know, I have always thought that there's no point in having something put away in a box in the dark. That If you can't use it and share it with the people who enjoy it the most, why have it? I mean, why have something if nobody sees it? And so that's one of the reasons we started our exhibitions program and started doing things, you know, D23 and so forth, so that we could share the wonderful treasures that are in the archives. Mm. You know, we protect them, we care for them, and and sometimes we only show them very rarely just to protect them from too much light and handling. But I think they're there to be shared and enjoyed and loved. A hundred percent. And as someone who has seen so many of these exhibitions, whether they are the beautiful ones in your cases, things that you bring out for a Destination D23 or one of our like Halloween events on the lot, all the way to Expo and the museum, it's the care and the conservation, like some of the things that you've done, the, the way that you conserved the Sleeping Beauty book and so many of these other pieces, it's uh, amazing. What do you hope people take away after seeing Disney 100, the exhibition? I personally want to make sure that everybody, you know, there's a lot of people in this world who still, even now, don't know that Walt Disney was a real person. So I want to make sure that we hearken back to the roots of our company and that, that people understand Walt and that Walt's philosophies have informed everything that we've done for the last 100 years and we'll do it into the future. And most importantly, you know, I want people to really enjoy and look back at the things that they've loved about Disney and remember 
the personal experiences that they've had as part of the Disney family. Everything that we do at Disney is for our audience, and we really appreciate the support and the dedication of our fans. And Walt once said, you know, you make this dream come true when he's talking to the audience. And I just, you know, I hope they understand that we're so grateful that they are there to enjoy the magic that we make, because there's otherwise there would be no reason for us to be able to do the thing that we love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Becky, we've sadly reached our last question, which we've asked you a million times, but knowing your history and connection with Disney, I'm sure you have lots to choose from. What is your favorite Disney memory? You know, I think I probably have said this in the past, but, you know, I'm thinking a lot about Walt these days. And I think even though I've had so many wonderful things happen to me and so many great memories to choose from, I think that the top of my list would have to be the opening and dedication of Walt's office after we did the restoration. Mm. That was such a moment for me because it allowed me to realize that, you know, when people go into that office, they get so emotional and they're so touched. And it just makes me happy to know that I've had a hand, a real hand in helping preserve Walt's legacy and letting other people enjoy it. So cool. I couldn't agree more. Becky, I love seeing you. I get to see you a lot. I'm going to be, I think, seeing you in Philadelphia very shortly. So um, I can't wait to see you guys and can't wait to see you there. Yes. Thank you so much, Becky. You're very welcome. Sherry, I am so excited. I may next week be at the opening of this exhibit, so I may be calling you from there. Who knows? Ah, Please do. Please do. FaceTime. I want to see everything. Yay. Well, thank you again for listening to D23 Inside Disney. Don't forget to like and share this episode wherever you listen or subscribe. And if you want to chat with us, specifically you, the person out there who doesn't have a Disney Plus subscription, hashtag D23 Inside Disney. (laughs) And for all the latest Disney info, check out D23.com. And we'll be back next week with more Disney news and a fantastic guest on an all-new episode of D23 Inside Inside Disney. Disney.